Welcome to Living Holistically with Dane and Indy. Where we empower you with the tools and knowledge of some of our favorite experts to help create your optimal health and lifestyle. We're your hosts, parents to three chickens and a dog in the hills of Melbourne, novice gardeners and health coaches serving other couples. Thank you for being here today. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we have local beekeeper Ben Moore, founder of bensbees.com.au, which includes a wide range of bee products and services based out of Victoria, Australia. We go into the important role bees play in our food system, the different types of bee products, not just honey, and their beneficial properties for human health and longevity that have been used since the ancient Egyptians, and so much more. Make sure to check out the show notes to links to all the things we talk about today, including the beeswax candles we love so much. Welcome, Ben, and thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, your work or Ben's Bees, would you ever share a bit about your your backstory and what got you into, I guess, beekeeping and all things bees? Yes, Dane, Indy, thank you so much for having me. So, regards to bees, it was an interesting start for me because this is a true story. When I was 14, I said to mum and dad, I don't want a puppy or a kitten, I wanted a beehive. Um, probably because maybe um, I was an only child, so I had to create my own entertainment. So, uh, so yeah, so I've had uh, bees for getting close to 30 years now, and um, it's been a little business for me since 2006. Uh, but the way I see it, guys, is um, the bees don't work for me, I work for them. Yeah, so it's, I suppose it's regards to the business, you know, it's what I do. I absolutely love it. You know, there's so many so diverse aspects of my business so i can be working like a couple of days ago i was in a little uh country town called Tolmy, which is three hours from melbourne um 1415 meters above sea level absolute pristine environment or i could be you know in the middle of the city you know uh removing some bees or helping someone with a bee so i love that diversification wow. yeah that must keep it really interesting for you <laughs> and whereabouts are you just for our listeners yeah yeah so, so i live in blackburn north um, so that's where I live, which is really cool because I'm in suburbia. You know, I could be in a city with no traffic in about 20 minutes, hour and a, hour and a half with traffic. <laughs> uh, so I could be really – it's a really good spot. So now I can – a lot of my bees are run primarily Yarra Valley, um, Gippsland, uh, up in Tolmy, the Alpine Country, and I've got 86 hives through the suburbs of Melbourne as well. Wow. That must definitely keep you busy. <laughs> I'm busy as a bee. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess we'll jump straight in. We really wanted to know um, what roles bees play in our food system. Yeah, great question, Indy. So, regards to bees, they're so, so crucial. The European honeybee, scientific name Apis mellifera, uh, is so important because they pollinate all many, many crops. So, uh, if you look at it as, and as far as the supermarkets, uh, approximately 100 different fruit and vegetables. 70 of those 100 approximately are pollinated by bees. Now, if we look at it in Australia, it's worth six, approximately $6 billion per year. I think globally, it's their bees are worth $170 billion a year. Now, that's just forgetting the, the wonderful products like you know, honey that they make. Um, so just pollination alone. So, And if you look, uh, for all the listeners, you know, think about when they're having breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you know, one in every three mouthfuls of food they eat has been pollinated by bee. So that can be... Indirectly, it might be, you know, the, the canola has been pollinated by bees that feeds the various livestock, you know what I mean? So there's so many different aspects to it. Yeah, definitely. And going into some of those different aspects as well, um, is that something you're seeing becoming less of? Like are they moving towards um, making seeds that don't need pollination? 
Yeah, Where is that yeah. going? They, they do. So there's, there's, well, let's look at the almonds because the almonds um, worth, I think the almond industry is worth about $750 million a year in Australia. Now, when you look at almonds, they they 100% solely pollinated by honeybees. But they've actually got a variety which is a self-pollinating almonds. But it's really interesting because if they you put bees on them and they pollinate, you actually get 30% better yields out of the almonds. A lot better. So when you're even though they're self-pollinating, adding pollinators is more beneficial. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And have they already tried to sort of, um, I guess, scientifically and manually sort of um, modify that out of um, crops and different seed varieties? Is that something that's happening? Yeah, they have. So there is a lot of work with regards to sort of yeah, the genetically modified type type plants and things. A lot of those, the research that I know of, because um, I love what I do because I've been talking to farmers and this is what I love about bees is there's so much to learn. A lot of them actually, which is, this is pretty crazy, um, there's a couple of crops and there's one like, say, soybeans, wheat, um, sorghum. They're, they're, it's called, they use a, a pesticide called Roundup. Right? And, what, and it's, they call, these particular plants are called Roundup Ready. So that means they can spray the Roundup on it and it'll affect all the other plants and weeds except for the target species they're wanting to grow. So that's happening a lot within in the industry and as obviously that, you know, things like Roundup, that'll kill bees. So um, so it's really bad in that sense. So, uh, But obviously having these bees, you know, they need to pollinate a lot of these crops. So it's really good, a lot of the orchardists, uh, proactive, they're wanting to do the right things. You know, obviously you get a bad apple uh, in amongst a bunch, but a lot of the audience want to do the right thing by the bees because they, they need the bees. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen part of the season as well. We want to share is the whole sort of series behind uh, sort of soil health and just microdiversity and just the, the the sort of extreme levels of monocropping, which is causing so much um, havoc on uh, on nature. Which is, um, if we upset nature, it will sort of come back and bite us in the butt, so to speak. And we find that I think people, a lot of people, might be aware, but even not be aware as well, as to how important bees play a role. Because if if bees become extinct, then we're soon to become extinct after them as well, which most people might not be like that sort of um, aware of. And so there's so much importance behind bees and um, ourselves are always very conscious of um, how we sort of, even now in, in our garden, in our backyard here, we have so many, um, we have like a lot of borage, which the bees absolutely love. And all these like sort of companion plants that work well with other plants that attract a lot of bees in there. And it's just, it's just an incredible time of the year in spring to see them all um, just humming around, which is really great. But it's that's becoming less and less sort of more common with the sort of um, the, the modern agricultural movement that's coming with bees as well. So we're seeing, I guess, a threatening to that sort of um, side of things, and the sort of I've, what I've seen in the, in the industry as well is like the like the the amount of bees that are being killed by this, I guess millions or even billions around the world um, due to a lot of these practices. Do you see much going on in Australia here from your your experience? Yeah, interesting. You mentioned that, Dana, and especially when you look at you know, Albert Einstein said that if bees go, humans have got four years to live. And um, so, which is really, and that's, you know, there's, there's debates whether that's true or not, but if we look at it, it'll definitely alter our diets uh, because, of, you know, there are things like corn, wheat, barley, which are wind pollinators, but how boring would that diet be? You know? Yeah, and how um, nutrient deficient. Exactly. That's why they do. So, you know, give, give me all yeah. the citrus and all the, you know, things like, say, broccoli, 
um, got seed broccoli to actually, now they need the bees to pollinate them to create the broccoli. So it's sort of that one fact. But um, as far as, it's interesting too, the big part of the reason why bees are in decline, it's a lot of it's got to do with, obviously we've got pesticides. Um, there's also, you know, herbicides like Roundup and uh, a couple of those other nasty ones. But then one of the bad ones too is fungicides. And have linked fungicides with, uh, it was about over a decade ago now, in, um, started off in America. Uh, it was called CCD, which is Colony Collapse Disorder. What happened is these bees were basically, these hives were collapsing. It was linked with um, these fungicides, which was affecting the way the bees could um, navigate and the way you know, the queen lays her eggs and, and all of these sort of this, um, these processes that they do with pheromones inside the hive. So there's real issues with that. Now, the other part of the, the thing as well with bees and decline around the world, uh, and we're lucky too, I should mention in Australia, we do have the best, healthiest bees in the world. So we're lucky We're lucky here. But, and that's because we don't have one particular parasitic mite called Varroa destructor. Uh, and that contributes to the, um, the depth of bees around the world as well. Oh, wow. That's really fascinating. I do know that a lot of people love Australian honey. Uh, we, it's like very sort of world-renowned as being such a like a sort of, I guess, a big export as well. If It's just, it's really sort of that Australian New Zealand is definitely what their focus is. I didn't know why that was um, is it because I guess we have sort of, I guess, more cleaner land than the rest of the world, but the bees as well, understanding that side of things. Can I um, ask as well, have you come across any of the information about um, what the new telecommunications um, might impact them in terms of disorientation or killing? Because you did mention that it might not be death, but it might mess with the way the hive operates. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of, you know, sort of um, a bit of research going in, particularly with 5G. Was, yeah, so that's been happening. But uh, interesting you bring that up, Indy, because I had some bees in Glen Waverley. They're on um, sort of a roof just on the corner of um, Waverley Road and Springwell Road. Um, they put up a um, just a, a generic mobile phone tower. It was approximately about 30 metres away from my bees. And what happened is my bees, I could see how they were flying. They were, they were prior to having this mobile phone tower. The bees were in and out like they do, you know, really active and doing their right things. But when this mobile phone tower went up, there was a, this massive um, disorientation. Um, so there was links between the way they navigate in um, EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, and bees. And that also goes from birds like pigeons and whales as well. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have uh, gone into that sort of topic a bit in our first season, which we're really passionate about too, understanding. But it's great to hear it from the perspective of, say, um, animals or insects as well, how they navigate on levels that we can't physically see through our eyes, but they level on a level that it's really, um, I guess, the biophysics of it. So you actually can't see those radio waves that how they actually mm. affect um, birds' migration as bees as well. And so... That's- and it's a shame, must be really frustrating for you because of although they're doing some research, you know, it's still going to go ahead and then there's not going to be really time, I guess, to um, be able to rectify anything um, while this is all happening. Does that mean you guys will sort of move things more away from the city or how's that going to... Well, it's sort of interesting. So I think by keeping them away from the mobile phone towers is, you know, the best thing to do. But it would be interesting... You know, to actually have one close by and just like monitor how these, you know, in it, sort of how they do, 
because and it's, you know sometimes people need to see that physical evidence. You know, we evidence as far as research on a piece of paper, but to actually see, oh, look at the bees there, they can't fly properly. People sometimes need to see that and go, wow, okay, well, we need to make a change. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, in today's um, world, if people just even saw that, you know, in a video on social media, that could spread, you know, whereas something that might be more um, clinically studied might take so many years, you know, to get through. Mm. There probably needs to be more awareness now (laughs) rather than later, for sure. So, you want to go into, I guess this this is a really cool topic as well, the, I guess, the importance of of honey and the health benefits as well but also just the the aspect of i guess there's um certain sort of uh niche of um a dietary beliefs about not eating honey products and and that how that because they believe that it actually sort of harms the bees and i guess You're what, calling veganism a niche. Ve- yeah i'm trying to call it veganism <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to call out veganism too too much, but um, oh, we're really big. Um, we're really big on sort of honey products, and the benef- health benefits are incredible as well. But also understanding and appreciating and respecting the bees as well. So, if, being a beekeeper yourself, you know firsthand and understand about all the, um, I guess, all the bee products that people might not be familiar with. But also, do they actually harm bees by taking some of the products from there that some people might believe? Yes. Yeah. As far as that's an interesting question, and I'll come back to that sort of vegan aspect in a second, but when we look at honey as a whole, as far as, you know, honey is a natural medicine. You know, they, uh, they were collecting honey you know, 3,000 BC, and if you look at honey, honey is the only natural food that doesn't have a shelf life. So pure, raw honey does not go off. Mm. And it's the only um, sugar we'll eat really what we see is worth eating because of the medicinal benefits. Oh, that's right, Andy, exactly. And it's got just so many different health benefits. You know, it's got the antioxidants and polyphenols and all these amazing different components, which are great for, you know, like a prebiotic for gut health, so which is brilliant. And also, too, you know, it's a, a better sugar um, as far as, you know, uptake in your body. And actually eating-wise, it's, you know, honey tastes about 25% sweeter than sugar. So it means you need less of it to have that sort of treatment. So it's really good on health benefits. And then we, when we look at manuka honey, manuka honey is, you know, the bit of a manuka madness, you know, the Aussies were the Kiwis. But manuka honey um, is high concentrations. And I must admit, we do, and this is true, we have the best, highest ratings manuka honey in the world. And some of ours is tw- almost twice the rating of what's uh, available in uh, New Zealand. But this has got this MGO, which is methylglyoxal, it's you know antibacterial and antifungal, so it's a it's a fantastic ingredient uh, to have. It's got a manuka honey's um, got a kind of a interesting taste. It's very robust, you know, very forward on the palate. Um, some people don't like it, uh, but even honeys from beekeepers, you know, in their backyards, um, you know, they've got the honey's medicinal. It may not have this MGO, but it's got. You know, what's called non-peroxide activity, which is on the health side of aspect is, is brilliant. And that's because it's, you know, raw honey. And it's important for, for those listeners, you know, support your local beekeeper anywhere in the world and, and just make sure the honey has, has just been basically filtered uh, or cold-pressed and also it's not heated because heating denatures all those good things. Mm. Which is most of what you'll find in the supermarket. That's right. It's, it's, that's so interesting, and that's and it's really interesting on a consumer type level because 
when often I've seen people say, oh, I threw out the honey because it went hard. Well, crystallization is a natural way of those sugars um, you know, crystallizing. So that's completely normal and fine. So where, where the general consumer, um, you know, they want the honey as a runny honey. Well, honey should not stay runny. They actually crystallize. So, yes. And on Manuka as well, um, you'll notice you'll pay way more for um, a lower you know, a lower strength manuka from New Zealand. So, you know, it's better in that sense to support the local ones here and you'll probably get a higher strength that's, you know, better. Exactly. That's right. So you get this higher strength. And also, too, New Zealand have this, that mite that I mentioned before. So they can use um, chemicals inside the hive to control the grower. But we don't have it. So, and scientifically speaking, our honey... Uh, is better, but sometimes we do call it a different name. There's a bit of a a um, backwards with my manuka, and, uh, it, yeah. So we, we call it jelly bush honey, yeah, yeah. Uh, which doesn't quite have that same ring, but it, <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's looking like we're actually this this war, like you know, cricket and rugby and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, this rubber, you know, this the manuka war, exactly the manuka <laughs> war, the manuka madness. Yeah. Is um, they've done some DNA testing. And it's looking like so the, the particular planet it comes from is Leptospermum scoparium comes from Tasmania. So oh, um, the, the arena is battle, but uh, <laughs> Manuka is or the is, is an Aboriginal Maori word, Manaka. So yeah. very interesting. So a bit of um, bit of backwards and forwards going on there. Yeah, because they're saying that the name came from them, so you can't use the name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so but the actual, yeah. yeah. <laughs> trademark and a name, and that's mm. and, and that's interesting. Well, look at the. Look at the kiwis. Um, you know, look at well. Look at the kiwi fruit. A lot of people aren't aware the proper name of a kiwi fruit is a Chinese gooseberry. So when you look at it, and that's and that's everyone thinks kiwi fruit comes from New Zealand. Well, no, it actually comes from China. Really, so and it's all part of the marketing and what they done. I think they did that about 40, 50 years ago. Um, so yeah, this episode is brought to you by Barclay Eyewear the only blue blockers created by a health professional and that will protect you from day to night from the harmful spectrums of artificial light. If you haven't heard what all the fuss is about, make sure you check out Season 1, Episode 6, where Dane and I delve into all things light and circadian rhythms to understand why these are a game-changer for your health. And to say thank you for your support, we've got an exclusive discount of 15% off if you use the code HOLISTIC15. That's H-O-L-I-S-T. T-I-C-1-5. Just head to barkleyeyewear.com. That's B-A-R-K-L-E-Y-E-Y-E-W-E-A-R.com. I love it how you mentioned that too, about the um, that Gary Freak. That works in perfectly. Well, it's going to actually how I came across uh, your work and your products and your bees. And it was actually through, I was searching through Royal Jelly and I found it very difficult to find an Australian raw jelly, uh, because I know raw jelly is again, it's like, and for people who might not be familiar, it's quite expensive. For people who pay honey in their, on the supermarket shelf, um, and they see how much raw jelly costs, especially if it's local raw jelly, it's, um, expensive, but understanding the nutritive, nutritive benefits of it is just, is incredible. And so I was actually searching online and came across yours because it was grown, um, in Yarra Valley here, which is local to us, which is even more inc- exciting for me as well, because every single other one I came across, I looked further into it and I'm 
always conscious of where products come from, especially if it's bee products and trying to always support local bees first and sort of in, in the rights of society and it's the right level. And I found all of them came from China. All the raw jellies were frozen from China. And uh, for our sort of um, understanding in that sort of space, we're not really, uh, we're very conscious of getting things from China just to, based on the quality and like to sort of, we don't really understand, really know that. So we like to stick with local and sort of the smaller businesses first. So that was really exciting when I saw your, your Royal Jelly that you had there. So if people aren't familiar with what is Royal Jelly or even um, bee pollen and propolis, there are other products of bees that come out of them um, as well. Would you be able to explain just briefly about what those actually are? Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating because obviously when we think of bees, we think of you know, honey and we think of beeswax. So two, two prime sort of uh, products of bees. Um, and yeah, honeycomb, that's right, exactly. And it's, uh, but we also prop- look at propolis. You know? Propolis is. Um, uh, interesting because that's basically a it's a resin that bees collect from predominantly evergreen trees and shrubs and what they do with this uh, resin is they use it as like a band-aid to actually fix up their their uh, inside their hive like if there's like a, a uh, like a crack or something and they collect it and they use it as like kind of like um like putty and uh, and there's actually there was a, a photo getting around where a mouse had died with inside a beehive and they completely entombed this mouse, and it was semi-preserved in propolis, and because it's once again, it's got these antibacterial, antifungal properties. So amazing health benefits, and they use it a lot in um, Eastern European medicines. They make various tinctures and things scientifically proven to help sore throats. Um, you can make an alcoholic version or a non-alcoholic version, uh, which is great. And um, the other, as you mentioned before too, Dane, the uh, royal jelly. Royal jelly is a really fantastic health benefit. Um, it's got all these really good things. It's got this big long-winded word, but it's abbreviated for HDA. And um, what that is is, is, is it's interesting too. I should mention, you know, with uh, royal jelly, a lot of people use it. Uh, it's not so much scientific research because it's sort of a little bit anecdotal, but they're using it for you know people with um, who've been through chemotherapy. I've had some clients. Who have got really good recovery for that, and I've had, I've had two clients, and it doesn't work for everyone. So remember that, not sort of scientifically proven as such. So as a, exactly, that's right, exactly. But I've had two clients um, that have had it who have gone through IVF treatment. One was on the second round, and one couple on their third and final rounds, and both fell pregnant within a month of taking royal jelly. Wow. That's really interesting. I wonder, do we sort of know what level that's working on? Because obviously Dane mentioned um, being good, you know, as an antiviral. Mm. But um, what are some of those other properties of it? Well, to, to be honest, it, it's a little bit of um, a little bit of bee, bee magic. And there are properties in royal jelly that I don't understand. Um, and, and so what royal jelly is, for those listeners, so yeah, look at royal jelly what it is is so all the bees get royal jelly so when they feed their young as they're growing up they're all given royal jelly but the the queen bee is given excess royal jelly so she's all she's fed more royal jelly and she's fed it for her whole life yeah the difference is a worker bee can live up to sort of you know three months but a queen bee can live up to six to seven years and that's because it's royal jelly so it's a bit of a a little bit of a, a, a lifetime thing. Yeah, so it's kind of just 
I guess one of those things that's very multifaceted and almost like a um, life force tonic, even though we don't completely understand it yet. Mm. Like there's so many things like that. So I guess it's up to everyone else to, you know, use their discernment. And um, because there's no real risk in using it, I guess, like, you know, people could um, just give it a go. Exactly. No, that's right. And exactly. And you mentioned before about sort of, um, you know, vegans and honey. And and that's interesting. And, And I actually have some very strict sort of, vegans who will buy honey off me and i'll explain why so so when we look at veganism obviously the impact of you know of animals uh with humans but you know it's interesting that a couple of things uh, a couple of key points is with um with bees they're the only animal to produce a surplus to their needs mm-hmm. so they store more honey than is required so we're not actually you know overly interfering so that's one thing the way who I harvest my honey is very ethical. I, I don't use something called a queen excluder, uh, which is basically a metal grate, so the bees don't have to squeeze past it. So I, I don't use I don't use them. Um, there was a video getting around of you know clipping their wings, the queen's wing. Yes, yeah, which I don't. I, to be honest, I've never seen it here in Australia. I think there's some. Uh, I think there was a few places in. Um, in America that were doing it, but the thing is they don't really do it because the problem is why that's a bit of inaccurate information is clipping the wings off a queen that often the bees will detect that something's wrong with her. The bees will euthanize her, um, oh. they'll supersede her, yeah. and they'll produce a new queen. Wow. So, yeah, so that's why it's not a queen. It wouldn't make sense anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why there's that. Mm. Um, there are some beekeepers around the world who you know, unethically produce honey. So there is, there is that. Um, but, yeah, with me, you know, uh, but obviously a strict vegan will not touch honey. But actually, as I said, I have some vegans that, that honey is the only animal product they would have. Mm. Wow, there you go. Well, I think that's again, shows the importance of understanding your local beekeepers, local bee products as well, and getting to know them. You really have a lot more trust in that space rather than just buying from something on a shelf in the supermarket, not knowing that what's behind it and how they're treated as well. So I think that's the most important thing when sourcing any animal products, Um, you know, get as close to the source as you can and understanding how um, they're cared for and how it's, you know, manufactured or created. Yeah. I mean, something else we had uh, products of yours we really love as well. And we also um, promote a lot is the um, your beeswax candles as well. That's something that we, because our sort of lighting situation here, being in from a health perspective as well, as well as sort of saving energy too, we like to use candles a lot, especially in wintertime when it's darker as well. And we find your yeah, beeswax candles are like incredible. And yeah, we sort of highly recommend people to go check it out as well. And that's a lighting source that is, again, it's very natural. It's what we sort of evolved under as well. And we really, um, yeah, really enjoy those beeswax and candles. And I didn't actually yours. think about it until recently um, that a soy candle would produce xenoestrogens. Um, which is really interesting. So for people that are, you know, careful about, you know, putting out of whack their hormones um, because of the non-natural sort of, um, yeah, estrogen interrupters, um, yeah, that's something that is really, you know, important to consider when choosing your candles. And even though it's, you know, a plant natural sort of source, it might not be the best source. It's it's interesting you sort of bring it up too, because when you look at... um sort of soy candles, a lot of them will actually um, add um, paraffin wax. So they might not be 100% soy-based candles. And that that can happen actually with beeswax candles too. So it's important 
no matter whereabouts you are. You know, make sure it is 100% pure beeswax. But what paraffin is, you know, paraffin wax is a basically, it's, it's derived from petroleum. So if you're burning some of these candles, it's like, it's like having, you know, like a burn in a car because, yeah, and it's really, really bad. And they put toxins and pollutants and things. And all sort of yeah. synthetic fragrances as well. That's right, exactly, really exactly. Where, where it's interesting as well, you know, burning a pure beeswax candle um, is really good because it creates negative ions, which also um, will adhere to the positive ions like pollen, dusting types of things, and will help clarify the air. And, and I've got a, one, one client always buys my candles. And I, I sort of I mentioned to her, I said, oh, you know, it's, you buy quite a lot, you know what I mean, because it seems to be ongoing. It's, and she said, yeah, she burns them for her son, who's a very bad asthmatic. Mm. So by burning the candles for an hour or so before he goes to bed, he has a really good sleep. Oh, that's wow. amazing. Yeah, that's so, so that's cool. uh, very interesting. So, And I've yeah. had a few people, you know, have had asthma and, and, and finding burning a, a beeswax. And the other thing is too, you know, the smell of beeswax. Yeah, it's mm. amazing. Uh, that's what well, it smells better than that. Yeah, it smells beautiful. <laughs> Anytime I go to a shop where there's beeswax candles, I'll actually go sniff. She, she shoves the nose <laughs> Probably right doesn't the seem like, you know, the most hygienic thing, <laughs> especially these days. But, you know, yeah. can't help it because that smell is just amazing. And so nostalgic as well, I think, like when you've, grown up with some beeswax stuff around you it's like yeah it's just amazing how it can transport you back to childhood almost it is that's, that's so true and just the history of beeswax you know they're using, using that in the pharaoh's tombs to help embalm the bodies you know of, um, of uh yeah the ancient egyptians and oh it's amazing and even even on a sort of a, a different you know using uh beeswax in, in for bullets during world war one and world war two which is, yeah, because of the way they, they were more accurate. So the bullets were, the projectile was coated in beeswax. So when it was fired, it had been straighter, which is obviously, that's terrible, obviously. But interesting, though, the, yeah, the history. The uses. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow. And can I ask as well, um, with the bees in terms of, like, ethicalness, is that something as well that they ha- sort of have in excess? Like, it's not really... Um, absolutely necessary or they keep making it? Yes. So, so if you look in, say, a natural beehive, let's say you've got a cavity in a tree. Um, we use that as a really good example. And what they, what they do is the bees will make their comb, right, and that, that typical sort of honeycomb sort of pattern, that hexagonal shape, uh, cells. And what they do is that larvae are growing up in there. But when the larvae are growing, they, they defecate in this in these little these, these wax cells. And it goes dark colour, goes from like a, a light brown to a dark brown to almost black. And what happens is the bees recognise that. So they'll, they'll produce new wax and they'll move with inside the, inside the tree. So, um, so they produce it. But in saying that, approximately every 10 kilos of honey that bees produce, only about half a kilo of beeswax is produced. When you look at it like that, it's not, it's not much at all. So, um, and the, the bees have these four pairs of glands underneath their abdomen, and they excrete, excrete the wax. And that's where I love bees. You, you look at, say, say um, them producing beeswax. It's absolutely fascinating because bees have all these different um, jobs. You know, you've got bees that will collect water. You've got bees that are undertakers. They will carry out dead bodies. You've got bees that feed the queens. You've got bees that will produce the, uh, the wax 
and they've all got a job to do. So that's why I find them just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I can't wait to like get a closer look because you know right now it's um, more conceptual for us, but we'll have to mm. come and take a look sometime yeah. inside them. And and just one last thing before we finish up, sorry, I have to ask: um, the bee pollen is that made just by um, produced by particular bees as well? Yeah. So what, so what the what the bees do is they collect the pollen. So that's part of that pollination. They've got these little, on their back legs, they've got these like little baskets, these little hair. Yeah, yeah. we've seen that. Yeah, yeah so you would see that. <laughs> and what happens is collecting. Like little leg Exactly. Collecting the pollen <laughs> you can actually do. Uh, and what you have these like little traps. So it's, it's the, the bee doesn't get hurt in any um, shape, form or matter. And what you do, these traps sit at the front of the entrance of the hives. And as they go through it, it just knocks off the little bit of pollen off their back legs and it falls down into like a little into into a well and so, and so then you can dehydrate that pollen down because you've got to take the moisture out of it um, because it will go moldy um, and then you can have pollen or pollen has got everything in it it's got all the vitamins and minerals it's even I've even read that pollen's got everything enough to sustain life that's how amazing it is. Yeah, we, we understand like the, the benefits of bee pollen as well, even from the side of the um, was how effective it's been in sort of, as you mentioned before, even just for asthmatics, for allergies as well. And myself, I had a lot of um, hay fever and allergies growing up. And so that was a, a big issue for me and sort of understanding and searching out there what was really good naturally for it and found how benefit bee pollen, especially local bee pollen as well for um, to deal with hay fever and, and sort of allergy symptoms as well. So that's another thing I was really mm. um, fascinated with too. Yes, well, it's um, so cool you brought that up. Because when you look at hay fever, now a lot of people in Melbourne and around the world, you know, get hay fever, and that's because of the pollen that's in the air. But it's interesting, you now it's called immunotherapy. So if you have honey from your local area, and when we say local, it doesn't have to be in exactly the same postcode, you know, 3150 or. And know, should it be organic? Yeah, it's, it? more, it's more probably important as far as being from a local beekeeper, mm. but also that's not heat treated. Because if you have that local honey and, and two teaspoons you know, twice per day, twice per day, and but make sure people don't make the mistake of putting in boiling water. So you put in boiling water, the nature's all the, the good um, the good properties and the enzymes and so forth. That can help and it helps most people with their hay fever. So absolutely incredible. Um, and on the subject of actually, it's interesting you bring up about being organic. Um, it's... Uh, it can some bees can have more issues with their hives out in some agricultural areas than they do in a city. And there's some fantastic research because when we think of let's say for bees in the middle of Collins Street and you think about the traffic and the pollution, but there's some scientific evidence and papers out there that have proven that the honey is is got no heavy metals, no pollutants in it at all. And they've found out that the bees absorb those bad properties. Yeah, mm. I've heard that too. It's so fascinating because usually we're like, oh, you know, make sure, try and make sure everything's organic. Mm. But this is like definitely one that's, you know, it sort of challenged that belief because of how bees are so different from, say, other animals and plants and everything and how, yeah, they seem to filter it. Exactly. That's that's right. And it's interesting one as well, Indy, you just sort of mentioned about organic. It's a very word that sort of, you know, gets used within honey and so forth um, because the interesting thing is you can't control where the bees go. 
So, you know, they, they fly five kilometer radius. So yeah, so, that's what I've heard. Yeah, so it's a really hard one to say. You know what? It is organic. Um, you know, as far as beekeepers and things, you know, organic as possible. Um, but sometimes, you know, there could be out in a farm somewhere, and someone's used some, you know, chemicals from their weeds or whatever. Um, so it's really, it's an interesting one with the word organic and. and Mm, interesting one. Yeah, because of course we want to, you know, be supporting organic farms as much as possible. But uh, but for some beef farmers, I understand that wouldn't necessarily be possible to have five kilometres, you know, around them that are organic. So I guess, yeah, looking at the, the actual beekeeper and how they um, produce it and what their methods are and where they are as well is probably the best thing. Exactly. And that's where I've got bees up in Tolmy. So that's up in the, the Alpine country. Uh, in the middle of a, I think it's about 600 acre uh, property that's owned by some people with, with one house up there. And I know my bees, wherever they go, you know, they've got a room and a view. They can see Mount Buller and Mount Hotham. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that's a really good view for them. And there's no chemicals there, which is, yeah. which is really important. So it's good. Oh, I mean, it's been such an insightful sort of um, conversation around bees. And we love honey on the products. For people that, would like to find more about your products, about yourself. I guess even what you're even up to now as well. That would be what. Would you, where would you like to send yeah, people? Yeah, because you've got your own podcast, so yeah, it'd yeah. be really interesting for people to learn more. Yeah, so so I set up my own podcast. <clears throat> um, interesting story. I done a course to do a podcast about three years ago, and um, just the nature of working with bees. I'm, you know, I, I seem to work a hundred hours a week. And it was interesting with this COVID and everything changed everything a little bit. <clears throat> so I set up this podcast. It's called Bees with Ben. And it's really cool podcast, so people can, um, you know, learn about bees. Interview people from around the world. I'm lucky enough to travel to many countries. Um, I've been to 20 different countries around the world and stayed with beekeepers, and so then interviewing them. But, but for those who, um, I've got a little website, um, www.bensbees.com.au, um, and Instagram's bensbeesau, and Facebook is just bensbees. So um, yeah, so. You know, people can get in touch. If you've got a question, I'm always willing to help people. Um, I, and I've just written a, a really cool book, which has taken me a long time to do. I think I started about seven, eight years ago now. Um, and it's called For the Love of Bees. And it's, um, it's you know, over, over 220 pages of interesting information. It's not a how-to book, but it's just The Love of Bees uh, and how important these crucial little insects are. Wow. Is that available on your store as well, on the website? Yeah, it's online. Yeah, yeah. So you have amazing. Yeah, to sort of get it on uh, the big platforms, uh, but I was going to turn it over winter time. It's a bit of a little bit of downtime with, with bees, so uh, beekeeping over winter time. So um, you know, I'm still busy because I'm making boxes and frames and getting everything ready. But I plan on getting the book on, um, you know, like a, a, as an audio book um, because I, I do so much driving. Mm. Some, sometimes I think I'm just a, a fat truck driver <laughs> <laughs> driving to where my bees are. Uh, so I, I listen to a lot of books and a lot of podcasts uh, like yours guys, which is absolutely awesome. And thank you for having me on too. I really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you, so oh, thank you for, for coming on. Here. Yeah, we really, really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, we know you're so busy with your bees and family and everything else going on right now and all that you're doing. So yeah, it really means a lot to us to have you on for you to make the time. And we're so excited um, for people to check more out what you're doing. Um, and we'll have all the links for that as well with what you shared. Yeah, in our show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank awesome. You so we'll chat much. soon. Thanks for joining us. 
If you're enjoying our show so far, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And it means a lot to us if you leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as well as share this with friends and family, which will help us get this crucial knowledge out there. If you'd like to connect with us, head on over to Instagram at liveholisticallyau where you can learn more and ask us anything. See See you next time. time.